to the truth in this art beyond and we're in philadelphia i'm your host rob lee and i'm here to share an interview with you today that i did with stephen cw taylor the owner and curator for ubuntu fine art gallery he's also a systems engineer a photographer and a time thief that is a title that he loves and he uses I, I, I dig it. Um, and the gallery that he's representing, Ubuntu, uh, showcases uh, large format color photographs from Taylor's travels and is the first black owned single artist fine art photography gallery in the USA. The interview will take us on a journey through Taylor's art, his vision for the gallery, and the impact that he hopes to make through his work in the community. Get ready to feel inspired. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. So as, as you were saying with the Baltimore Two's language, um, I, I did an interview um, before I came up here, right? And I'd asked, it was, um, it was Mariam from, uh, from Philadelphia uh, Printworks, and I was like, so how do you order your cheesesteak? And she was like, salt, pepper, ketchup. I was like, ha, ha, ha. I was like, that's the Baltimore thing you just said. Salt, pepper, ketchup. That order is a strength. Where's, where's the mayo? Salt, oh. pepper, ketchup, mayonnaise, fried onions. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> but the salt, pepper, ketchup as a string, that is something that we say. It's like, yo, I need a chicken box, salt, pepper, ketchup. Right, 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 right. Me, it's always hot sauce because, you know, I'm a spicy individual. Right, right. So, you know, as, we, as we get started, as we go in, I just wanted to get that out of the way because it's always about food uh, for me because I'm, I'm starving. Um, so, can you tell us about your background and how it influenced the work that you're engaging in today? We're, we're here, we're in your gallery, which is, thank you for the invitation. Thank, thank you for thank you having coming. the space. And... Um, what sorts of interests did you have growing up? So in this, this sort of question or have you talk about your background a bit um, and how it like kind of pops up and shows up in your work today. And what were some of your interests growing up? Uh, so as a kid, and me and my mom talk about this often um, for Christmas. So me and my, my brother's three years uh, older than me. So we're three years apart. So we got a lot of combination Christmas gifts. So we got Genesis that was ours. We got PlayStation that was ours, Nintendo that was ours. And then we can kind of each get an individual gift for Christmas or whatever the case may be. And at about like, like maybe five, six, seven, I could be older. I could, you know, the actual age range is escaping me. I always wanted constructs or Legos nice. or things to build with, right? Not really understanding, knowing that, damn, you're an engineer. I got this whole book of instructions finished by New Year's, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I built everything in this connects, constructs, Lego, whatever it was by the time New Year's got there. And, you know, the amount of time simply by, okay, what, the, what are the instructions telling me to do on how to build this thing? And then, you know, my, my uncle, you know, when he was alive at the time, he would go to the VA hospital and always bring me back a, a model or something. So like a, a model car that I would have to put together. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, those three soldiers that's in DCs, a model of that that yeah. I would have to put together. And I would get them and within a day or two, you know, hands full of glue. I have these prototypes together, so to speak. And, you know, coming up, Never really thought about it. I wasn't the greatest student, but I was an athlete, fastest boy in the hood. So my, you know, my old heads is put, pitting me against smokers to race for a hundred dollars so I can get twenty. You know what I mean? Like so, I thought I was going to be an athlete, and that's yeah. what I went to college for. I went to college to play football. Um, you know, I was a decorated athlete in high school, and my senior year in college, I got hurt. Mm. And you know, after that, it was well, what am I going to do now? 
And um, my, my girlfriend at the time, she was applying for an internship at Goldman Sachs, and I wrote her application for her. And she got the internship. I said, shit, I'm smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I got six months before I graduate. I'm rehabbing my knee. I'm in my most depressed state ever. Yeah. And oh, you're smart. Yeah. My degree is in criminal justice. I, you know, that got me to D.C. So I was a youth correction officer for the, for the D.C. government mm. for 11 months. And um, I had some sage advice. And I'm, I'm getting to yeah. the crux of it. I got some sage advice from one of my coworkers. And he was like, young boy, you're too smart to work here. You're mm -hmm. going to stay here to five years and retire in 20, or you're going to leave now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. Yes, my old head, I had a lot of respect for him. You know, tr traditional D.C. old head, right? And, you know, take me to Southeast. We were on transportation together. We'll go to the wharf, you know, Trip Bowl, yeah. you know, Horace and Dickies, <laughs> you know, all these kind of things, right? And then um, uh, uh, the... the I was on my way looking for jobs back in Philadelphia. I was going to come back and be a social worker or something like that because I just, I just said, well, I don't have no other skills. My degree is in criminal justice. I can be a social worker with my criminal justice degree. Sure. And I wound up meeting this girl at the Howard McDonald's and through my relationship with her, and it was brief. It was about six months to eight months long. Yeah. Her mom worked at Booz Island Hamilton. Mm. And at the point where I'm looking for jobs, wanting to do different things, Booz Allen Hamilton is starting a new assessment center. It's a data entry center that is going to now manage the firm, all of the firm's performance assessment process yeah. from an HR side, yeah. right? And I got a data entry job. I can't type though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, my first assignment was a quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog's back because it hit every key on the keyboard. I, I wasn't proficient with Outlook. I wasn't proficient with Excel. All of the things that you would need to simply exist in the corporate sphere as an employee, right? Sure. My office mate knew all the stuff. He didn't really want to tell me. He didn't really <laughs> want to tell me, it. you know, my, uh, my, our other co-worker, she was smart, but she's in a different office, so she's not in there with me when I'm struggling. Like, uh, I got a task that I don't know what to do. But within six months, he, he had gotten um, let go. Uh, within like eight to nine months, the, the other girl went to a different company. So now I'm the most senior per mm -hmm. person on this thing. And in three months, we are about to transition to a new performance assessment application for the entire firm, right? right? So we got two new coworkers. I'm now kind of training them. I'm, I'm becoming proficient. My, my, my key is customer service. Yeah. When we went to ePerformance as a platform for performance assessments, we all go into this room because now my group is now not only tasked with ensuring that all the documents and data is right within the system, but now we have to train it yeah. through the HR specialists up and down the East Coast. Yeah. We went into the trainer, the developer's name was Shaker Casaro, never forget him, he was out of Pittsburgh, and we went through the process of creating a document. He showed us how to do it. Anybody wanna try it? Fuck it, anybody, I'll raise my hand, <laughs> fuck it, I'll try. I did it exactly how he did it. Nice. And they're asking, my coworkers are asking me, have you done this before? I said, we all came in here together, yeah, yeah. you know, but I don't have, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. We go through this training. He said, you can do this. Mm. He showed me, he, he, now don't, I don't know what any of this stuff means yet, yeah. but he says, this is how you see source code. Every website has source code. Mm -hmm. Every single website has source code. You can go and find this. You can look at this. You can look at this. You can look at this. <laughs> right? Now, I spent 
two stints at Booz over the course of 16 years. So that was all of my professional experience. Yeah. I was a data entry analyst for maybe four to five years, yeah. right? I became a back-end systems engineer for Booz Allen Hamilton, utilizing my skills from my constructs. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. So I always had it. Yeah. It was always there. There, was, there, there, just, there wasn't an opportunity that, that presented itself that was going to stretch and challenge me. Now, when mm -hmm. I get the job as a software engineer and my boss is telling me that I need to know Unix and I don't know what the hell he's talking about, right. or I need to plug in this, this, uh, this SQL code to go and query, you know, query a database, yeah. and I'm like, but that's, but that's the uh, thing. That's the thing that's, that's really interesting. Like, you know, I had a job working as a freelancer. And, you know, now actually I moved from being a freelancer to working in a full-time gig. And one of the things with it was SQL. And it's like, I knew a few things, but I was like, all right, this is not 100% required. It's like, I can figure some things out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a quick learner. And it, it would just give me stuff that was like, I'm inherited someone else's code. And I was like, I don't know why they did this, how they did this, anything. I can't replicate it. So mm -hmm. when I break it eventually, mm -hmm. I got to remake it. So, you know, it was kind of one of those things. And... I ended up leaving the, the job. You kind of got fired, quit some, somewhere in the middle. It was it was some some race things that were going on there. And but you know the thing that stuck out with me is that I never learned really how to do it, and it was under pressure, mm -hmm. right? In this mm -hmm. weird way. And it's not like a matter of giving up. I was staying there to night at night sometimes to try to get this thing right, right to understand right, right. it. So I was like, I'm not going to let this computer beat me. So. Similar situation happened in you know a role I was in after, but I had someone who was there who already was doing it, and he was leaving, and there was a lot of stuff that was going to come to me. And he was like, "I'm going to give you my code. I'm going to train you how to use it." So once he gave that to me, I was still working those sort of long hours because I wanted to understand it. Mm -hmm. But also the difference was it had me very curious. Right, right, right. And now I use it every day. And I, and and you have reference. I have reference. I use it every day. I'm making sort of these. Um, reports that I use university-wide, all of this different stuff, because the context was was different. Mm -hmm. And having someone that's sort of the the Sherpa, if you yeah. will, mm -hmm. the person that's going to introduce you to something other than I'm not going to train you or help you in it. Kind of the, the example you were describing, like you can do this, you understand this, you understand mm -hmm. the logic. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, I was like, oh, there's nothing that can stop me. Correct. And then breaking stuff improves you. Mm -hmm. And everything should be able to get fixed if it could get broken. So if, you, if it gets broken, you can get fixed. And most of the time, you know, I work you know, with large, the entire application on the back end, so it's infrastructure, where it sits, where it lives, right? And I, I broke the financial application for Oof. all the payables. All of it. Oof. Legit. Because I, I was trying to clean up the C drive. Yeah, yeah. It was, well, it was going to die anyway if I couldn't get enough log files and stuff. Now. I'm, I'm not proficient. I don't know that DLL files are pro, program files, system files. I was deleting DLL files like they was nobody's business, like they was text files. We, I started getting all these alerts. Broken, broken, broken. I said, oh, good. <laughs> Called my developer, yep. two o'clock in the morning. Bro. <laughs> uh, uh, yo, Sajid, I broke it. He said, what do you mean you broke it? I said, I, I broke it. Now we had to rebuild the entire application. If that wasn't the most robust training experience mm -hmm. that I could have ever had that propelled the... Now, I did that within a year of being a software engineer, mm -hmm. right? It propelled the rest of my career. By the time I left in 2010, in a 2012, and they called me back in 2015, mm -hmm. well, what do I break it down to? I'm easy to work with. 
my thing is service, it's customer service. I treat people well and they freely give me information on the back end. So, you know, as a result of that, not only do I have a tighter relationship with my developer, who's now like, you know, we, we make mistakes, Don't, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause I'm so remorseful, I'm like, damn, I'm gonna get fired. And you know, all this, he's like, don't worry about it. We're gonna fix it, it's fine, you're good. Like, you tried, you, you tried, don't worry, you know? So he gave me all this confidence and reassurance that by the time I go and try something else, and this is that and the third, by the time I leave booze, you know, I manage, again, the dearth of our really kind of crucial financial applications, one being Tableau, which, you know, is now the CEO is using for reporting. Yeah, yeah. That he's reporting to his shareholders and, and to Wall Street and things like that. And these are my things. And, you know, I'm, I'm giving them time. Mm-hmm. before I leave to start my gallery venture yeah. so that we can f- close out this project, you so, know, because I'm so integral into, it, you know, I'm such an integral piece into this project because I know how all of these applications are interconnected and work with each other, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, again, I tie all that back to my constructs as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you said something that's, I think, a really good segue actually into where we're at so let's talk about the gallery a little bit give us give us the background how did how did we get started here um and for the listeners describe it like because we're in here i mean i see all of this dope photography Mm -hmm. okay come Mm -hmm. in it's a fine art for photography gallery so let's let's talk about it so let's talk about the aesthetics first uh the building itself it's a historic building um it's a it's a former masonic temple Mm. that um was owned by cunningham piano from like the 40s through the 2000s. So this is a former piano showroom. Both the storefronts are, are former piano showrooms. So, you know, I like to say the space is built for sound. Um, the floors that we're walking on were laid by the Masons. I just had them wow. refinished, right? Um, uh, the, the gallery is ordained with very large works, 40 by 60s, I call them portals. Um, they represent seven different countries, Abu Dhabi, Barbados, Bali, Paris, a lot of Kenya, three U.S. national parks, uh, and three photos from Philadelphia, Germantown, more specific to the block that I live on, and then Subway Surfer is our most popular and best-selling piece, and it's a young boy dancing on the Broad Street line, um, the, the Scepter line. So uh, the, the, the gallery cre- is, a, is a pristine space that has a homey feel, you know, mm-hmm. so like good energy around it. It's not a pretentious space. So a lot of galleries, especially um, that black folks see or poorer people see seem unattainable, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create a space that was simply in the community, yeah. but it's high end, right? Um, I wanted to be here all the time. I didn't want to want to run the gallery as, well, I got a salesperson. Salesperson, salespeople treat you differently mm-hmm. because they want a commission. Yeah. Now, when you come in here and you're talking to me, now we got high end barbershop. So, so hold on real quick. We didn't mention a name. We didn't mention a name. Ubuntu Fine Art. Thank so you. Ubuntu, Ubuntu <laughs> is a South African philosophy that translates to hum- that I translate to humanity and sharing. Um, a common definition is I am because we are mm. uh, is built and in, baked into South African culture. So South Africa is the most the, is the country that I frequented the most. I've been there three times and with in my time there. Most time, most anywhere I travel is how do I bring it back home? How do I keep it once I hit PHL? 
You know, once I hit the airport, it feels like it all just washed. You just had this, you know, amazing experience. Your soul feels cleansed. You know, people saying, brother, welcome, welcome, welcome. And you come back home and you and without anybody saying a word to you, you just feel the energy. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the ramp agent don't want to deal with you. You know what I'm saying? Like you just feel this energy and I wanted a way to keep it. I wanted a way to, to continue to feel it. And by naming it Ubuntu Fine Art, Ubuntu. we now can utilize this philosophy that undergirds our business model. And within it, within it undergirding our business model, it's, well, how do we see ourselves as part of community fabric? How do we see ourselves um, as tangible example for the community? I see you as me, you know? So I challenge young boys all the time. Uh, how much that Gucci belt costs? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this don't fire, it's 250, 350, 400, 500. What do you think art is worth? Yeah. Well, I get me a Basquiat. No, no, that's not a question I asked you. I said, what do you think art is worth? Yeah. You know, not as an investment, yeah. as a collectible, you know, as an artifact. What do you think is worth? Would you, would you spend the same amount that you paid for that Gucci belt for one of my pieces? You know, mm -hmm. and it's a rhetorical question. You don't have, you don't have to answer it. Yeah. It just gets into your mind the value of what something can potentially be and then when I talk about bequeathing it to your estate and you know this is that and the third and you don't buy art because you want to invest in it even though it could be an investment you buy it because you want to you like art or you want to support an emerging artist or whatever the case may be far too often we just don't have no experience with it yeah. you know at its highest level so like well you get a certificate with this bro <laughs> you know what I'm saying like this comes packaged a certain way um, you get our, our, our sign seal of approval so when your grandkids, grandkids, grandkids take it to Antiques Roadshow, they have accompanying documentation no, no different than a Rolex. Right. So you view all of these things, things in a similar vein, you can't afford a Basquiat, right? And unless you're going to Sotheby's, to the auction house, by and large, you're not buying art as an investment. You're buying art to an enhance or uh, complement the space that you're going to occupy or that you want to show to somebody else, yeah. right? So building a space that allows for access, whether somebody takes advantage of it or not, isn't the point. The fact that we're here allows for access. Hopefully, so that you come here, mm -hmm. ask a shit ton of questions, and then go to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. We don't, I don't want to keep you here. I want to create lovers of the arts. You're, you're opening up, at least, at least what I'm taking in, 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 in what I was seeing and doing my internet stalking or research. It's almost providing this sort of entry point as to this is this is the beginning of the conversation. Definitely mm -hmm. check this out. Definitely see this. And also, even with the images that are captured or the moments that are captured or, or stolen uh, that that are there, it's showing it and sharing in many ways like a world outside of the community that you're in. Mm -hmm. But also, it's like an invitation to explore the world of fine art a bit more yeah. because. Any of these things, you know, if we're, we're being frank about it, you're, you're talking to black people a lot of times of like, no, you should be able to dive further into this. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. should be able to see more of this. You like this? Great. Also go to these places as well. Correct. But have a more informed conversation and discussion of what is art. And I like that you said Basquiat because I like Basquiat and, you know, I like the, the, the I like that whole thing around it. But it is kind of that sort of I remember when people used to say black people used to say, hey, 
I like punk rock. I'm into Green Day. It's like, it's uh, not punk rock. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of that. It's like, yo, name me two other ones. Mm -hmm. Don't name me something that um, American Apparel or something that uh, any of these sort of stores have. It's like it's like that. Oh, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, Urban Outfitters has a mm -hmm. shirt with them on there. Mm -hmm. Give me somebody else. Right. right. So that, that's that's where my thinking goes. Ho ho hopefully, and and to kind of take it a step further is sure. we don't know what we don't know and right. we only know what we're exposed to so within you know let's say the black community entertainment is our highest barometer and that's entertainment as singer rapper uh actress actor athlete or whatever the case may be are the only attainable goals when art is a way to tell a story to tell your story what your life was like during your time here it's a legacy that you're building with the idea that people remember you. And if they don't remember you while you're alive, your life lives on in perpetuity through your body of work that grandma or your sister or your mom randomly found in the basement. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, your foundation because you took it a little bit seriously. Now your foundation is going to allow for, for you to live on through your body of work, through your narration, through your messaging, and you know all of those kind of things. So a lot of my process is, well, I want a plaque on Germantown Avenue. What's the way for me to do that? Doing the work that I deem necessary through my personal being here, mm -hmm. right? And not, all right, well, I got enough money to move, so I'm a roll, and then on my business here. No, I had enough money to I had enough money to stay in D.C. Yeah, Philadelphia is free. I, I, we own our crib for 50 years. I, and, I, and I hear you in that. Like, you know, as you, you mentioned it, I was like, all right, man, keep, keep my system up. Man. I need my story in there, bro. I need this, right. this whole sort of archive, archive kept. And I, I think and it's, this is an idea I've been playing with. You, you were talking before we got started about loving audiobooks, right? Mm -hmm. And I listen to a lot, a lot of art process, a lot of like, how do, how do people, how creatives think? And you know, it's the, the Rick Rubin one has just been on my mind recently. It's like, oh, you know, in, in terms of, am I an artist? No, I, I, I'm in this sort I would of, beg to differ, but continue. <laughs> but in terms of like, I look at it as something a little bit different in, in terms of the definitions, but, but thank you. And I, I think with it, it's sort of this dynamic of, I can articulate exactly what it is. I have tastes that I'm trying to share and I'm trying to put out there. So when people have me, have a question for me, why'd you pick me? Well, saw your work and I thought it was cool. It's not much more than that. More than that I don't right, need to right, have right. the gatekeeper I conversation. Like Boom. And I'm interested in learning more. And it goes back to, and I think there's the overlap, the data and the, the uh, creativity overlap. Like I was saying earlier with SQL. SQL interests me, and I just put a lot of interest and in mm -hmm. time into mm -hmm. it. You know, learning about what someone's process is, learning about the thinking that goes into it, that interests me. Let's continue that conversation. Oh, I like Philadelphia. Let me come up there and see what they think. Is there some overlap yeah, with how the yeah. artists that, you know, in, in these different cities I might go to and being able to steal from you guys as well? Right, right, right. You know, I like to be able to act like I know more There's than I no do. There's no such thing as an original thought. Right. We all kind of piggybacking off each other and the the, the, the the breadcrumbs our forebearers left for us, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I envision my, my body of work to rival that of Gordon Parks in the way that, you know, I would like my work to be the lens in which future humans yeah. look at my contemporary period. So in 2098, how are they referencing 2023? Yeah. Right. And are my images, can my images be a reference point into black life, whether that black life be in Africa or 
the hyper local to myself in Germantown, right? So, 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 so in that, I, I definitely have a question around that. Why was it important for you to to show that, like, like for you? It's broad as you described. It can be as local as here in Germantown, where we're recording this, or you know, in the continent of, of Africa, what have you, and anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. That black people are at. Why is it important for you to, through your photography, to document that, and through the work that you're doing, to document that? Um, one for myself, it shows variety. So, like, I'm, it's it's not just so. This is my community, and this is what I'm documenting. I'm just simply living a life and part of this life mm. this is what I've been able to capture in my this, this is the time that I've been able to still through my camera right uh -huh. and you know people ask me all the time do you go to these places intentionally to photograph and I say yes and no I go to these places at the behest of my friends because they want themselves photographed right mm -hmm. so they make it they make it easy for me to be with them but once I'm done with get out of my way, <laughs> the landscape is still there, yeah. right? And you know, what's, well, what's your photography style? I'm, I'm not editorial, I'm not photojournalism, I'm not a portrait photographer. Even though I can do all of those things, well, what do you do? I absorb space well, you know? And through the absorption of space, it helped me to create community in South Africa, community in Kenya, yeah. you know, community in Lisbon, Portugal, community in most every country that I've traveled, and then bring my uh, uh, intellect that I've garnered back directly to my hyper-local space and my hyper-local community. So somebody asked me one time, you know, uh, do you do black art? Well, motherfucker, am I black? That, that's, that's, that's the thing. I it's, am black. It's, it's a weird sort of... I'll, I'll put it this way, and it's no shots, right? But maybe when you have to have that almost certificate of this is a black-owned business, this right, is this, right. it's like no, but can it just be good on the marriage that's there? It's like, aren't I this? Yeah. Like I'm a black man, you're a black man, and do you expect it to kind of look a certain way? Right. Because right. I've been hearing more and more of this recently. You don't look like a podcaster. What does a podcast look like? That's the question. I <laughs> and I was like, you mean, you mean this part or is it the height? You know, right. trying to get them out. But it, it's interesting when people ask you that, like, you know, I'll get, so do you do like a black podcast? Are you, are you talking to black artists? I was like, I talk to whoever interests me. And some of these quote unquote black and for the culture sort of things, you, you, you've run across them. You, you hear the same sort of barbershop conversation. Right. And while that could be very entertaining, mm -hmm. Is it something you're really getting something out of? Oh, right. Is it some substance in it? Is that something that's transporting you to a place? And I think that's a big piece of what you're doing here Correct. with the, the work. You're transporting people like, wow, you, you got that? Yeah. Well, that's there? You can go to Paris in here. You can go to Kenya in here. And more than that, we've had so many people come in from different islands around the world. This reminds me of my island. Well, you know, this reminds me of this, and this reminds me of this. But you're looking at Germantown right next to it, and you like that too. Yeah. So now you're exposed to this thing. So now it's a, it's a it's a transfer of information. It's a transfer of energy within. Well, why do you make them so big? You know, um, uh, one, of my, one of my advisors told me that I've never seen a photography gallery where all the work's this big. I say this so that it can be portals. You know, people can. I can transport somebody into a different space and time, yeah. right? That they are now going to make their own, and we're going to have conversation about this thing. I had an, um, a, a nine-year-old musician come in here and one of my pieces on the comm has a music note in it. Now, I didn't know it had a music note in it, yeah. right? 
And I had been working with this file for <laughs> close to three years. Right. And more intensively, as I'm preparing it for the gallery, yeah. she's walked in here within a minute of being in here ran to that joint. That's a music note. That's two eighth notes. Look, uh, uh, and then walked away as a matter of fact. And I'm like, ain't no music note in my photo. What you talking about? I'm ready to argue with her. I say, damn, you're right. Yeah. Now I can use it. Because mm -hmm. now we trans, like, she helped me to yeah, see something discourse. within the thing, yeah. which is what art is. It creates discourse. You don't have to like it. It's not about liking it. You can be the critique person. And you can just go in and critique everybody's stuff, right? And you don't never have to like anything. But if I like everything, now, well, why did you why did you dislike that? Well, I don't like these shadows. Well, I thought the shadows was the thing that made it the best. Yeah. You you actually you actually learn something from that, and I think it, it gets into the conversation around like nuance. It gets to the conversation around meaning, and we try to trim that out because it's too hard, right? Yeah. We we don't want to do that. We don't. We rather. And this is not quite related, but I think it's indicative of the sort of system we're in. We rather cancel a situation or cancel a person versus let me fully understand your shittiness. Mm -hmm. And now I can say, now nah, you're out of here, G, or, you know, run the, run the hands, as, as right, it were. Right, right, right. But I think to stop it short, I think that that's part of sort of, I don't know what the antithesis of cultural preservation is. But there's a version of it. When you stop right. a conversation short or you censor something, mm -hmm. you're losing something. Yeah. It doesn't allow for the discourse. Because yeah. we, 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 we don't have to agree. And this is what I try to uh, um, get people to understand, especially people that I collaborate with. We ain't got to agree. Yeah. Do we have the same mission? Yeah. You know, are we going in the same direction? Can we actually... Now, not all you can't collaborate with everybody so this i'm not suggesting that everything that come by you're just going to do, do do it with somebody but at the same time you know like the idea of ubuntu is seeing somebody as you so you know you got your own proclivities and biases mm -hmm. that you have to beat back and beat down and all these so why don't they have these same things right yeah. so if we know that most people are operating on their bias on whatever their bias spectrum is, right? Mm -hmm. And with things like social media, it gets, uh, uh, you're able to, um, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, you yeah. are able to reinforce all of these biases with nothing to come to, 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 to combat it. And anything that combat it now turns into an internet argument, yeah. right? Now, well, we just trying to beat each other or get the last word and, you know, henceforth. So, we're not really, we're not, we're not examining ourselves. No, we're, we're not in that, that system that I think is really, if you look at it, for the last, let's say 20 years, right? We're in 2023. I always look at, I feel like Facebook, when it was the Facebook, you know, happened when I, and I was a freshman, right? And so I'm like 20 years that we've been kind of dipped in this sort of, you know, it's, this response or that response. It's no nothing in the middle. That doesn't get like voted up, right? Mm -hmm. There's the there's the programming component there. It, it, it's made to be sort of binary. Right. We have all of these sort of binary systems that are in place that really have a lot of power. You know, if you look at like like politics, you either pick this party or that party. And the moment where we start looking at something that can kind of muddy that water, no, you have to pick one of those. You right, can't right, be somewhere right. in the middle. So when someone talks about like art, someone talks about creativity, someone talks about a city, a community. Oh, that's what that place is about. It's violent, moving on. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, this art is good, this art isn't. You know, when you have people who are self-taught or people who have the MFAs or the BFAs or what have you, and it's like, oh, that's not good work. Really? 
how, how does it make you feel? Mm -hmm. I, I, I had this conversation with someone um, recently, actually, and they were like, I don't get art. I don't understand how you do this podcast. And I was like, what? Are you, what, what? What, are you, what are you trying to get from it? Like, I don't understand art. I was like, oh, you, you said it again, but what are you trying to understand? What are you trying to get from it? It's, it's a feeling thing, I think. It's not a homework assignment. No, it's, it's not. Did you like this? You don't have to explain why you All like right, it. Did right. you like it? Or it made me feel a certain way. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, it's the beauty of art. I had, you know, we have apartments above and behind me, and yeah. a DoorDash guy came one day, often come to the gallery before they go to the apartments uh, by mistake. So he poked his head in, looked around, Bit, bit amazed and then went to drop his thing off and came right back and said, you know, I don't mean to interrupt your conversation. You know, walk to on the calm, which is the piece with the music note. Um, he said, I've been clean for four years and this picture spoke to me and gave me the motivation, encouragement, you know, whatever word that he used to keep going. Mm. Now, that wasn't intentional. It's simply proximity, access. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So because I was here, and because the other guy that I was talking to was wrapping my head off, I was open a little bit later. Than, so all these things wound up, wound up working out in my mind for him. Yeah. So that he can come and feel something a certain kind of way that is going to help him think that's what art does. Mm -hmm. Art makes you feel. And it should make you feel either angry, neutral, or happy. I, I, had, like, I have not seen a lot of performance art, right? And um, I was down in New Orleans, and it was this um, exhibition about um, water was a theme. Mm -hmm. And it, it was this one video of this performance art thing that I was just like, this is something. And I watched the full video, and I got it. I got the messaging. I understood it. You know, understood what they were going for. But you know when you watch a horror movie mm -hmm. that's, like, <laughs> really tough? And you're like, ah, this is that part. It's basically he's pulling this bottle of water that's filled with water and wrapped in barbed wire. And he's lowering it, lowering it, catching it, lowering it, lowering. and then eventually he just lets it hit him in the stomach and he's just, you know, bleeding all over the place. And he's talking about the dangers of how he got here as an immigrant. His mother had to go through water and the dangers of water. And I'm like, that is a very interesting way of, of telling yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you only could do the video. You, you can't yeah, just say, yeah, yeah. yeah now I'll display me like, right. injuring myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, and, and to that, that point of feeling something, like I think I, I saw the back end of it, and I was like, where is this going? I wasn't paying attention to it. And then it pulled me back in. Like, no, I'm not letting you leave. I need mm -hmm. you to understand the feelings and what I was thinking that went into this. And I was like, okay, I got it. Right. I get it. And then you can make your own determination whether you like it or not, but yeah. you felt something. You know what I mean? And that feeling was, eh, well, that really wasn't for me. But a lot of things like a good movie, any, any like live music, I don't care what the live music is. And, I, and, I, and I, I hate half the rap. If I go to a concert and I'm watching everybody else screaming and yelling and, you know, just yeah, being yeah. so jovial and, you know, and, and, and the, the performers are giving it their all and everything else. And I'm like, dang, man, this is amazing, yo. Just because it's live, but I won't watch a video. I won't listen to it, it on the radio. It's about being there in a place, right? Um, so, you know, I was, I was joking about it. We were talking a little bit about um, the, the Eagles and all before we got started. And, you know, I was just like, man, I wish I was up here. You yeah. know, last week, I was like, it looked like it was fire. You got to come, come back next week. <laughs> you got to come back next week. And, and, and the thing about it, um, 
I go back to this experience. You, you mentioned like sort of live music, right? I'm a big currency fan. At least at the mm -hmm. time, I was mm -hmm. really into currency. And I remember going to the Smokers tour. Like this is maybe 2012, 2013. And one of the um, like policemen that was like down there, he was like, "Yo, hope you ain't got no clean clothes on because it's gonna smell stanking." <laughs> and I was like, "Yo, this is wild." So he had recently broken his ankle. So he's not gonna like, he was like, I'm just gonna bring the party to y'all. So he brought out a couch and he's wrapping off the couch with the ankle brace on the whole thing. And I'm like, this is great. So the next person that goes up that's closing the show is actually Method Man. So it was Big Crit, um, Currency, and Method Man. That sounds like a fantastic show. So, and it was sponsored by Raw Paper. So it's just, <laughs> everything is just going out. So Method Man says something really interesting. It's not a huge crowd there, but it's, you know, good. And, you know, I'm there with my hip hop, hip hop hat on or have you, which was weird. But one of the things that he has said, he was like, just enjoy the moment. He's like, yo, stop looking over there at this guy to see if he's having a good time. That chick is over there taking pictures or what have you. Be in this moment, share this sort of experience. Right. And then he ate a blunt, which was really funny. And, but that was that. I was like, this is the point. We're not here to watch him do that song the same way that it was recorded. We're watching him for this experience. Yes. We're here to share this experience. Yes, yes. that's art. Boom. <laughs> um, See, we're just having like the, 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 the really off-the-cuff conversation here. Um, so in, in looking at it, I see, and it's probably more than this, but I see um, you know, you've had travels to 18 countries for, for the context, right? Mm -hmm. um, for U.S. national parks. Like, have they shifted your perspective and how you view like, your role as a photographer, your approach as a photographer? Like, you know, we're, we're, when you mention like landscapes, I think of national parks. I think of like different countries I've never been to. I think of like palm trees and water, mm -hmm. pristine mm -hmm. blue water. Mm -hmm. Has it changed your like perspective with regard to photography? Traveling cultures you, and me, me as a photographer who says who like who, who I say like I absorb space, mm -hmm. and and whatever the space is giving me, I kind of I, I receive it, you know, and I'm not I'm not going to exploit anything. I'm just kind of <laughs> I'm here. And I want to be part, part of it's 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 allowed me to kind of take the reins off of sure. what I what I envision photography to be. So it's not um, categorized into a bucket. Yeah, you know, um, it's allowed me to like almost like directly look at my body of work differently. Right. So, you know, what are the stories that I'm telling? How am I telling these stories? How am I producing these stories? Um, uh, the, you know, materials that I'm using yeah. to produce the work, you know, all these kind of things. But more importantly, it's the energy that I've gotten from the new place. Right. The, I can keep it through my files. So yeah. when I'm going back and looking at a trip or curating for a new exhibition or whatever the case may be, I'm always able to harken back to how I felt mm -hmm. in that space, which now comes directly through to the files. It's like a time capsule. Exactly, right? Smells, tastes, everything. I remember those plantains. Man, <laughs> like, you know, um, uh, in the last place I went before I opened a gallery was La Kenya, and I spent almost a month in, our, in Kenya uh, on this trip. November 20, height of the pandemic, like, you know, semi-restrictions on the island, a, a quasi-world, so to speak, just this richness of these people. And, you know, at this time, 
I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on this island. I said, I've never felt this free. Mm. I've never felt this free in my life. Now, not free in the sense that I don't have any inhibitions or, you know, nothing's required of me. Mm. Like zero. And I don't know that any black American, by and large, or not many, when do we ever feel free? Like, intrinsically, you know, yeah. without, without it being hyperbole, like, oh, I'm free. Well, I'm, why are you free? Because I got a million dollars. No, you're not, you're not necessarily free. Um, but a feeling of freedom that was built through my other travels, yeah. culminating in this one at the height of the pandemic that prepared me to view my photographs in such a way that I can now tell a story. Now, the exhibition that is currently in the gallery aren't similar images, right? Right. Yeah. And most collections, exhibitions have themes, and they're themed through a central thing. And I'm like, no, this exhibition, I'll theme shit later. This exhibition is to show my vers versatility as a as a as an entity, as a brand, as a photographer, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not just a landscape photographer, even though I want to be thought about on the on the same parallel as Ansel Adams, yeah. right? Um, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily in the mold of Gordon Parks, right. even though I, I utilize his 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 you know the steps that he paved for all photographers alike to envision themselves in their body of work a certain kind of way. It's not just for Instagram. It's not just for social media. It's not just to post, right? Um, garnering this, these experiences that now I'm able to document my community mm -hmm. with, a, you know, like almost through like an intellectual spectrum or intellectual prism that my travels have given me because it opened my mind. It helped to culture me, being around different people, different uh, ethnicities, religions, you know, all these kinds of things that now I can then come back to my community with not, with not a sense of like, man, I need to get out of here, it's dirty. I love it even more, because yeah. I feel free. When, so I think I was talking a little bit earlier, like I've been to New Orleans recently and I've been down there before, several times before, but this last trip, it was a lot different. And I've enjoyed each time, right? But this last one was different mm -hmm. because I've had basically, with the exception of maybe a few interviews, like I think started this podcast in, let's say July of 2019. Mm -hmm. January 2020 was the last time I was down there. So whatever the interviews I got in that period, let's say it was about 30 interviews. Now I've had over 500 plus from the last time I was there to now. So going there with a different concept, different context, and having these conversations with people, I saw it very differently. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and, it, and you, you talked about being a runner before we got started. It was like when you're doing something with the ankle weights on, and you're, you're like, oh, I'm faster now mm -hmm. because you ran with some resistance. It's like, oh, I'm kind of stretching these new muscles yeah. of, I'm gonna go there because that place looks interesting. Mm -hmm. And the previous time, I had no interest in going to some of those places. Yeah. So the the world and that place that I love and I, if it been to before, has opened up. And I imagine, you know, as I'm coming up here and I'm doing this sort of work up here in Philly, I'm seeing that. 
I'm seeing that of like, all right, where am I going to go next? Right. What place am I going to check out? And we're, we're out here. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to have that sort of, that one meeting out here in Germantown and then just go back into the fashion district, do all of my stuff. I try to tell you, man, everybody should move to Germantown, but that's just my bias. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, 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 may have, I, may have I don't want to take you from Baltimore, but you know, I think, uh, I think, I think Germantown is, a, is just, is, is just a very special place. And, you know, to your point, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, you don't, we are, we are single entities and mm-hmm. we carry all of our experience, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, right? And they, we become a byproduct of these things and it's up to us to challenge ourselves to stretch further, to stretch more. So my approach is materials, mm-hmm. right? So how can I utilize different materials? I actually am in the process of uh, writing a proposal to do a residency in Japan at this paper making factories because nice. I want to make my own paper. I want a proprietary paper that I print on, even if it's only for one run exhibition or whatever the case may be, you know, so that way, you know, that well, these came from my hands. You yeah. know, I made this handmade washi paper, you know, oh, and yeah. uh, uh, spending some time in Japan so that I can then come back with a new exhibition, with new um, uh, interactions with people, not just Mount Fuji, not just Tokyo, but, you know, a rural <laughs> space, um, you know, Kyoto, this place, this place. Well, why is that? Through, through my love of anime. So anime has sparked this, this love affair with Japan. I've never been. Yeah. But through anime, whether it's Naruto, One Piece, whatever the anime is that I'm watching at the moment or at the time, it's like, well, how, well, they have this beautiful way of blending this traditional and mm-hmm. technology together that, you know, I want to be a part of. I'm not going to say that other places can't or don't do it, but I want this thing. Like, I want, I want to put my super duper digital files on some handmade paper that got, you know, mulberry ridges in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, my art advisor is like, you know, how, how do you think that's going to look? And in my mind, it's going to look fucking fantastic. Yeah. You know, why is it going to look fantastic? Because I created it. <laughs> it's simply because I created it. And I'm, and, and I'm testing. I am stretching myself mm-hmm. in the process. And through stretching myself is how we get stronger, is how we build endurance, is how we build confidence, and how we learn not to give up. So the only way to gain muscle is to tear the fibers of the existing muscle. Yeah. You're stretching it. You're making you. In order for it to get bigger, it needs to stretch. Hypertrophy. <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly. So like, if 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 we think about it that way, then all of our pursuits in life should be to challenge us. That's that's really in what I'm looking at in doing this. Like, let me stretch the boundaries of what this is for me. Um, and I, I admire when folks are doing it. That was the key thing that stuck out when I was reading over your stuff. It's like, you're a dude that stretches the boundaries of what you're going to do, and then you just do it. Mm-hmm. And I admire that. And I don't ask for no, I don't ask for permission. So, you know, oftentimes, I own a, I own a fine art gallery. When people think of gallery space, they think of uh, a curator mm-hmm. and a body of artists that this curator is going to utilize, tap into to create themes around work, mm-hmm. right? Um, get some funding. You have a buyer's list. You have a, you have a, you have some consultant list. Like you know PR. You you're you're interconnected within the quote unquote real art world, mm-hmm. right? On some level, because yeah. you need people to buy the work. It's the only way galleries stay viable, right? So you know, for me, well, I don't know, I don't have any of that experience. This is an entrepreneurial endeavor. You know, and through that entrepreneurial endeavor, well, all I need to know is how to hang it, how to process my file, 
how to light it. Yeah. Well, that's research. Yeah. You made, that's, you, not, that's not permission. You made, you made it into a system where it's so much of this uh, like cloak and dagger sort of secrecy yeah. because, it's, because it's not for you. It's, it's, not, it's not for me. Exactly. But once you're able to kind of like, oh, I've been around this. You almost have to have someone to get you into it. But I think once you have a sense of what what it is, it's like, oh, oh, that's what this is. Yeah. And then that all the other stuff will come. So mm -hmm. affluence will always travel to art poorness camp. If I put it where poorness has access and I create something that mm -hmm. is legit, it's not it's not it's not lesser. Yeah. Right. This this is high end than a mug. It's probably one of the nicer gallery spaces in the entire city I of Philadelphia. I didn't think I belonged in here when I walked by. I was in, like, the, in the entire city <laughs> of Philadelphia. Right. right. Access. Affluence will come. So yeah. as I'm working with people, as I build network. Now, again, you need one need give time mm -hmm. for entrepreneurial endeavors that I ever believe or fathom myself to be an artist. Now, this is to your point art <laughs> earlier where you said you weren't an artist. I would, arg not argue, but I would be very stern with people to not call me an artist, I'm an engineer. Mm. I built this as an engineer. This is ones and zeros to me. Distance from the wall, the lighting to be based on beam spread and image size. My man. That's an equation, yeah. right? That I can work with a lighting yeah. designer to see what it's gonna look like on a 3D render. When, I, I'll share this for you before we get to these rapid fires, we're gonna wrap in these few moments here. But I had this thing where, you know, people would assume, oh, you're good at public speaking, you're good at this, you're good at that. Yeah. I was like, I am shy and I get stage fright, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and I, I remember I was supposed to do this talk um, for Creative Mornings. And I'm like, yo, and they're like, it's, you know, it's a prepared speech, you're doing all of this. And I was like, all right, cool, I don't really know about that. And, you know, sort of that sort of naysayer thing comes in. So, almost in the same way, I was like, what am I good at? I was like, eh, I can do, I can do an interview. I know how to do interviews. So I framed this talk as an interview of myself. Interesting. So I answered, I broke down this concept of theme was truth. I broke down this concept of th truth through three different quotes. And I responded and provided an anecdote for each one of those. And I just framed it like I was interviewing myself. And that was the way I got through it and people dug it. And if it was just me going up there trying to riff and do a sort of speech right. or what have you, I, I don't know if I'm that interested in that regard. Conversely. Yeah. At least for me, I'm an artist now. I'm, I am an artist, right? All engineers are artists, mm -hmm. every single one, right? And I use an example, uh, I had a young boy come in here, he's like some structural mechanic or smart, super smart dude, yeah. right? And I was like, coders, engineers, can sign their name on their code. Mm -hmm. Well, don't, don't artists sign their pictures in their paintings? Now, you know, the same, how do you get to a point? What is the deliverable, right? Mm -hmm. So what is required? Whether you do that shit in Python, JavaScript, HTML, a S3 bucket, or I'm going to do this joint all in this long ass piece of binary. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put my name at the end of it. And it's up to you to figure it out later. It's up to somebody else to figure it out later, but it works right now. That's when, when someone says, um, like, when you go through what your process is or what have you, it's sort of that when someone has, like, what their layout's gonna look mm -hmm. like of, this is how this is gonna flow, 
Like I'm, my background's mostly in SQL. I do a little Python, but mostly SQL. So when I'm sitting there, I'm like, hmm, this was somebody else's code. I can see what they did here. They didn't really like map this nope. out in any way, shape, or form. But it works. But it works. And that's the thing. Like we can get to the same sort of thing. Our processes may be, my join might be different from your join. Exactly. And 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 I think that they, I think that's a really good comparison, actually. So in my mind, if all structural engineers, mechanical engineers, architects, you know, all of these people that may not distinguish themselves as artists, mm -hmm. they all are. An artist is not necessarily an engineer. Mm. Not necessarily, mm -hmm. right? Now you engineer a painting, you'll, you'll, you'll create this thing, but it's also process. Yeah. Right. And I think on some level, you know, um, and I and I, I, I kind of welcome debate around this question or this topic is on some level, the process is creates the engineer. Right. And these are formal processes mm -hmm. right now. You're you're that that looks just like Michael Jackson. And you painted that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me how you did it. Mm hmm. I like the colors. I did this thing. I did this thing. You know, process, 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 which distinguishes the two. I think artists are a little freer. I think it's a little, you know, um, uh, it's not as rigid. It's not as rigid. Yeah. Engineers are almost too rigid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Artists are chefs. Engineers are bakers. Fair. Yeah. That's very. That's 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 very fair. You know, um, and when I kind of lay it out like that it gives credence to the both so it helped me get over my imposter syndrome as an artist mm -hmm. because i was so enthralled and enamored with titling myself as an engineer my degree is in criminal justice i was so proud <laughs> to be i'm a back end i'm a software engineer senior mm -hmm. on my resume that I can go shop to Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, mm -hmm. what, whomever else wants it, and I will get a job as a software engineer senior. You know, probably managing folks doing something or another, right? Yeah. I was so proud of that, that I didn't want to relinquish it. And I got caught up in this, well, I'm this, and it, and it, and it, and it made me almost like too stern, too rigid. Right. I'm not moving from this thing. So now, instead of welcoming praise, I am rebutting it. It's, it's the same for me, where for the longest time I've been an analyst around data, data analyst, marketing data analyst, higher ed, all of that stuff, right? And I recently had an interview that was like, I think you're more business intelligence because you see the bigger picture. And it's like, and that pays more, but also you see the bigger picture around that. You're not one of these boots on the ground. You can tell their story. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know what the data means. and. And I started thinking about it, I was like, you might be right, actually, and having to kind of let some of that go, but definitely for the longest time associating a certain identity and a certain part of me, like, at my most successful mm. professionally. Yes. Yes. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was an analyst, and, you know, in some, but with this, with doing this sort of podcast and all of that, you know, people will say, oh, you're a storyteller. It's like, no, nah, I'm facilitating people sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, like, intent on, on, on that because, mm -hmm. I can't share your story. You can. I can try to provide a framework and some structure around kind of helping guide it because I'm interested in a certain way, in a certain part of that story or what have you. But I'm sure there's a litany of things that are in it mm -hmm. that you know have some impact and influence that if we were to do the same conversation, 
in let's say six weeks or six months, whatever, it's like it's going to be some of those same bullet points in there, but it's maybe going to come from a different angle. Exactly, different energy, different angle. Yeah, so I appreciate that. One hundred percent. So let's let's move to the rapid fire portion. Rapid, um, rapid. So I got. I got five questions for you, five rapid fire questions. Let's go. Don't ever thank them, because I do it all the time. Yes. Uh, here's the first one. Um, what was the first image that went in the gallery? Shit. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Technically, Subway Surfer, because it's the, it's the image that I started. I printed the largest five years ago, yeah. right? And I kind of wanted to build a gallery around this one image, because I knew that image was like, that's gonna be the one. You know, I kind of, I kind of felt it. So it was subway surfing. Um, what is, um, is that be remiss if I didn't ask? What are you using to do your work? What do you, what kind of camera? What are you using? Uh, most of the gallery was shot either on a Sony A9 or a, a Sony AR2. Um, I'm currently using a Sony A1. Um, mostly prime lenses now. A lot of the gallery was shot on a 24 to 70. Uh, use Lightroom, Photoshop to process on the, on, on the back end. Uh, my website runs through Wix. Um, so, you know, my finances run through QuickBooks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we, you know, I try to build systems to, as part of how I kind of run the business so that w when I'm able to create a SOP after some time of mm -hmm. doing it, then it's much more easily, easy for me to tell my mom how to work the damn alarm system, yeah. <laughs> you know? That makes so. sense. How many hours of sleep do you get? I always like to do a self-care check. Oh, I sleeps. Okay. I sleeps. Uh, I'm, I'm generally in bed by 10 o'clock, you okay. know, and I'm up at 5 a.m. every day. Um, uh, I'm at the gym by 6.30. I get, you know, again, running. Um, I get an hour running, hmm. I head back home. I'm at the gallery by 9.30, 10. Right. So I'm, yeah, nice I'm not. I'm, I have no military background at all, but I try to create some sense of of of, of, of normalcy through regiment. It's a, it's a system. It feels yeah, like it's a system. It, it, it feels in that way. I'm not so overwhelmed because I need structure. I need. I actually need somebody to tell me what to do. You know, people don't like that. Or and be like, well, you're not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs don't think that way. And I say, no. The benefit of working at a job is somebody is telling. I have a task. Mm -hmm. When you're a CEO. Yeah, give yourself your own task. You, you, you just have to make sure at the end of the year that you didn't have a bunch of losses. And it's at the end of the year. You know, so and you're failing through the beginning or whatever. You're not hitting those goals, exactly. those KPIs. <laughs> you know, so I've structured in, you know, the amount of time that I'm going to work on things, the amount of time that I'm going to be with my family. Yeah. You know, uh, I pick up my daughter every day from school. We do homework together. You know what I mean? Like she's a part of this process with me. Um, you know, and that's very important to me. So, again, I don't, I don't skimp on no sleep. You I, know, I get six to eight a night. I'm somewhere in that, that know, same I thing. I, I, I get I, six to eight a night. I've been going like ten, going to sleep like ten thirty, getting up around six. Gym does open till seven, so I get mm -hmm. over there and it's, it was, it was some cardio yesterday. A lot of recovery day and cardio. I was like, this is elliptical, right? Um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we're gonna do a lot of glute exercises. Be, care, like, you know, be careful with that elliptical, man. man. no joke, yeah. Um, let's see, uh, what was the last place you traveled? I'm in Kenya. Okay. Well, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, I was, I was waiting for the, the, the U.S. one. Tulsa, Oklahoma was the last place I traveled. Um, I did some work with uh, Forbes of Culture um, over the nice. course of three different journeys to wealth is what they call them in collaboration with um, 
uh, or, or an organization in Tulsa called Building Tulsa, and we did a lot of uh, work on in Black Wall Street and things like that. And um, uh, that's been the last the last place I was, and I've been to Tulsa five times. So I got I got a, I got a lot of Black Wall Street energy. I hear got a lot of Black Wall Street energy. Um. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Got two left. Got two left. Um. Just. One's food related, you know. I gotta. So, what is the Philadelphia food? And I know, I know what you may say, but what's the Philadelphia food? So, Philadelphia food is cheesesteaks, right? <laughs> okay, it's, it's, it, that's what that's what it is. Um, for real, for real, Philadelphia Philadelphia food is like delicatessen delicatessen type. So deli food, got it. So deli food. So you know you have your hero hoagies. You no know, such thing as hero here. You got your hoagies and you know your delicatessen shops. They might have, they, that that serve other things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you might be able to get a brisket sandwich or a salami mm-hmm. sandwich or you know something like that. Um, Reading Terminal in Philadelphia is a smorgasbord of things. I'm going there right after this, by the way. I am partial to Asian food, yo. Really? Partial to it. Manny Young got two spots at Ramen and Main Street Foe. They don't pay me and you know, <laughs> anything else like that to, to advertise them or whatever the case may be, but I love noodles. Like, I, I just love noodles, I'll, man. I'll say this week I ended up um, using the HelloFresh. You know, I've been cooking more in the crib. It's a lot of cutting, a lot of yeah, cutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was some like ramen dish. It was vegan, and I was like, okay. And it had like the wild like coconut milk in it. And I was like, okay, it slapped. Slap. It was like a Thai yeah. dish. I was like, this is fire. It had the peanuts in there, Absolutely. all of that. I, I was like, this I, works. I am advocating to get a noodle bar on Germantown Avenue. That, that, that is my goal. This is the last one. Uh, what is your most used piece of Philly slang? John. All the way. I'm a Joner. Don't let me go out of town. It's John, 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 John. Yo, go get the jo- If I'm out of town with another Philly person, this is what we're doing. We joning this John to death. Okay, and and as many times it's it's not even intentional. I catch myself. I said, Dad, I just said John. They don't know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, the John's over there. Damn, that John fire. We we you had with that John? we had one dude at Morgan that was like a Philly. He's like the only Philly guy there, which I thought was really weird because it's so close. And that's, it just reminded me of that dude. Mm-hmm. He was just I was like it was just waves, beard, everything was Philly. I was like, Are you part of state property? Like what is oh, this? Oh, he, he had he had Tim's on and Dickies. We were in a business school. Yeah, yeah, Tim's Tim, Tim, and Dickies, maybe some shells. You know what I mean? Some, 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 some shell tops, depending on the, the era of when it was. This so is like, hilarious. It's, it's that, that is Philly, 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 through and through and through and through and through. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't use John, you know, at least 20 times a day. So in, in, this, in these final moments here, one, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and chopping it up with me. Thank you for having me, right? Absolutely. And um, I want to open up these final moments for um, for you to tell the folks where they can check you out, your work, the gallery, and anything that's coming up. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, Ubuntu Fine Art is located at 5423 Germantown Avenue, um, uh, along what we're dubbing as the Germantown Arts District or Arts Corridor. Uh, we're open Friday through Sunday, free to the public from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. The gallery can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Ubuntu Fine Art. That's U-B-U-N-T-U-F-I-N-E-A-R-T on both platforms. And uh, I can be found on Instagram and Facebook at Stephen C.W. Taylor, S-S-T-E-V-E-N-C-W-T-A-Y-L-O-R. 
we have um, uh, a lot of events coming up. So we have an open mic coming up this Friday. We have uh, uh, something that uh, me and my friend, who's a who's a museum curator, her name is Monica O. Montgomery. We've um, uh, collaborated on what we're calling Germantown Culture Nights, in which is really a, a, a gallery tour that is facilitated with some conversation with some. Um, uh, uh, conversation that is specific to a theme and then we have a Cuban dancer to dance a couple sets um, we have some programming next month you know that we're doing as, as far as like we have our last culture nights we have our open mics um, but I really want to work with musicians and kind of allow this space to be like the de, de facto jazz venue in the city you know we don't have no food we don't have no drinks it's all art so this right like raw art and on this backdrop in this beautiful acoustic space called ubuntu fine art you know we really want to kind of create and set vibes so that again i can i can attract my noodle bar <laughs> it's all about the noodles at the end of the day all about the noodles at the end of the day so and there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Stephen C.W. Taylor for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and community in and around your neck of the woods. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm.